The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. The Kremlin has said that its relations with the US have reached their lowest point after a Russian fighter jet collided with an American drone yesterday, causing the latter uh, to crash. The former naval officer and senior advisor at the Atlantic Council, Harlan Ullman, joins me now. Uh, Harlan, it's, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Details of what happened yesterday are still a little sketchy, uh, to say the least. But what's your assessment of the incident? I think that the Russians made a calculated move to knock down an American Reaper drone uh, just to tell the Americans to stay away from Ukraine. I think this was a symbol. Uh, Their ambassador here, Anatoly Anatov, has denied that, saying that the drone wandered into no-fly areas. But I think that's nonsense. This is a direct assault on the United States. And uh, from the Russian perspective, it was quite clever. Why was it clever? Because the Americans are probably not going to do anything. If you recall, during the Trump administration, the Iranians shot down an American drone over the Gulf. Trump wanted to launch a retaliatory strike and was persuaded not to do it. Uh, what can the Americans do under these circumstances except protest? And so from Putin's perspective, uh, this will be seen as a PR win in Moscow. Uh, what the Americans will do in response, I don't know. Uh, my suggestion would be that we better come up with a better strategy for Ukraine, including a plan of action as to what is going to be delivered when, with the intention of trying to put an end in the war by giving Ukraine, I think, the military capacity it needs to force the Russians to some kind of a negotiation. But the Biden administration has not seemingly been able to do that yet. Now, when some people hear talk of uh, extra support like that, and when they see that incident yesterday, they immediately begin to panic about escalation and, and, and where things might lead is open conflict between the United States, NATO and Russia. Have you? Do you share any of those fears? Absolutely. Uh, you will note in my column earlier this week, Monday in the Hill, I'm afraid about some kind of escalation due to miscalculation or mistake. Uh, if you go back to August 1964, a North Vietnamese commander ordered an attack against a U.S. Navy destroyer in the Tonkin Gulf, mistakenly thinking that destroyer was part of a South Vietnamese raiding party. Uh, then the Americans sent two destroyers back, believing that they were under attack, which they weren't. That got us into the Vietnam War with the Tonkin Gulf incident. And certainly with China now developing its nuclear weapons, we've had had a number of events since the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962, where there were real problems. In November of 1983, NATO was holding a command post exercise um, called Able Archer, which the Soviets, being paranoid in any event, what was a cover for a first strike. Now, obviously, nothing happened, but these miscalculations occur, and it is possible for one of them to get out of hand, whether that's over Taiwan. You have the Chinese Air Force penetrating regularly the Taiwanese Air Defense Identification Zone that extends two miles out, 200 miles out, supposing the Taiwanese say, uh-uh, we're going to do something. And so since you have the worst relations now between and among the United States and China and the United States and Russia since the end of the Cold War, uh, these miscalculations can lead to unwanted escalation. And the real problem is we don't seem to have lines of communication. When our Secretary of Defense wanted to get home hold of the Chinese Minister of Defense after the Chinese so-called spy balloon was shot down over America, he couldn't get through. So we don't have arms control agreements in place. We don't have confidence building measures in place. And we don't have crisis management situations in place. So I think that something needs to be done to prevent 
either unwanted or planned incidents from getting out of hand. And yes, I think that uh, this is a very dangerous time because the relationships between and among these three powers is at a very, very low ebb with little opportunity currently to see them improve. It's it's funny because it, it, all of that, I mean, it has echoes of... of the, the, the fallout of of Abel Archer as well. And by all accounts, I know he gets kind of um, uh, described as a warmonger, but by all accounts, Ronald Reagan would be kind of staying awake in cold sweats at night, uh, terrified of, of nuclear war. And that was, you know, in the wake of Abel Archer, one of the things he was, it, it is reported, he he remarked, was that he, he wanted to be able to get in touch with the Kremlin, get, get into a room with those guys and talk to them and let them know we will never do this and you guys should never do it either. I mean, 30, 40 years on, we're back in the same situation. Well, in many ways, it's worse because then it was the US-Soviet standoff. Now you have China. During the Cold War, the notion was two scorpions in a jar. And the notion was that both scorpions could sting each other to death. Now, fortunately, the scorpions had other ideas. Now you have a third scorpion in the jar in terms of China. So what does that do? In the past, we had deterrence, which was basically nuclear deterrence on a bilateral level. Now we have what I call triturance. We've got Russia, China, and the United States. How does that work? We don't want an arms race. We don't want to build more nuclear weapons if we don't have to. But now this, the admission of China as a nuclear power with the intention, if you believe our intelligence agencies, perhaps of deploying as many as a thousand warheads, and by treaty, Russia and the United States are limited to 1,550 strategic warheads each. You now have put the whole notion of arms control, stability, deterrence, and triturance into question. And nobody seems to be pursuing those, either in terms of arms control or measures that would either build confidence or be able to take over in times of crisis, much as the incidents at sea agreement between the Soviet Union and the United States did to prevent collisions at sea between the two navies from escalating out of control. So something needs to be done, at least to put in confidence building measures and to put in some place of crisis management communications where both sides can talk. And quite frankly, I don't see that being done to the degree that it needs to be done today. But, but uh, despite the fact that there's a kind of it, it's a kind of a three way race, if we'll describe it that way, or a, a triterrant uh, with China involved now, does the principle of mutually assured destruction not still apply as a as 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 a preventative? measure from stopping people pushing the button. Yeah, I always thought the so-called mad mutual assured destruction, both sides being able to kill each other, I think that has always been overrated. Okay. Obviously, that's true. Uh, with thermonuclear weapons, and you have to realize a thermonuclear weapon is a thousand times more powerful than a nuclear weapon, obviously, societies would have been destroyed. And I think everybody knew that. Uh, the question becomes, how do you operate below that level? And we do not have any means to operate below that level. Some people talk about a limited nuclear war, which I think is madness. Uh, because I don't think even once a nuclear weapon is going to be used, I don't think you can stop using it. And so the way around this is not so much to rely on MAD, but to rely on arms control when it's the interest of all parties to limit the amount of nuclear weapons, confidence-building measures, so you don't get into an able archer situation where both sides are talking, and then most importantly, crisis management uh, facilities such as hotlines, so that if necessary, the president of the United States can speak to the president of Russia or the president of China on an immediate basis to prevent some, let us say, mistake from getting out of hand. That needs to be pushed because it's in the interest of all sides to do that. So how then, to bring it back to Ukraine, uh, Harlan, before I let you go, I mean, how does the Biden administration manage all of this? How should they manage it? They don't want to... Uh, 
to risk escalation. At the same time, they don't want to appease Vladimir Putin and hand over large swathes of Ukraine. But the fear that others have is that you continue to send or you send, you actually send Abrams tanks, you ultimately send, even if it's through third party countries, F-16s, and that Vladimir Putin feels cornered and starts detonating small tactical battlefield nuclear warheads. Well, I don't think Putin's going to do that because I don't think there's such a thing as a small nuclear weapon. Uh, It could be done as a demonstration. But since he's claimed lots of Ukraine as Russian territory, I don't think that's going to happen. Look, I think the way you look at this is tell me where Ukraine is going to be in November of 2024 or 2025. And I think unless there are negotiations, I do not see how Ukraine can sustain itself against the determined Russia, just given the disparities in size. I would like to know what the Biden administration's strategy is. Now, it may be keeping it secret because it may be cynically letting both sides bleed enough so we can finally get to some kind of a negotiation. But without knowing what our strategy is in the plan of action, simply by providing these weapons in a piecemeal situation, it just seems to me it makes the war the war worse, not better. So for the Biden administration, what is the strategy? What is the objective? And what are the ways in place that can end this war, at least on terms that would be somewhat favorable to Ukraine? without forcing Moscow into a position where it's going to have to escalate. That's the issue. And I cannot tell you what the Biden administration's plans are for that because it hasn't become, it hasn't been forthcoming. And that may be for reasons of classification. Harlan Ullman, former naval officer, senior advisor at the Atlantic Council. Harlan, as always, thank you very much uh, for that. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy. With Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.